Well, the question before us today, brothers and sisters, is what will you do with God's commandments? Here they are. What are you going to do with them? What's the little Jace going to do with them? <laughs> well, God's ways are before us. We, we've heard and we know in the Scripture that they are the way of life. But sometimes our heart and our flesh or the world around us can give us a different narrative about God's commandments. Are they a restrictive, narrow list of rules that are just annoying at times? A list that really only pastors and sweet little old ladies can truly adhere to? (laughs) Or what will you do with God's law? God's law has also been, in many ways, discarded, even within segments of the church, who have determined that God's law is archaic, it's useless, it's imbalanced, it's not culturally applicable, and therefore we just sort of need to stick with the New Testament. It's much safer. But what's your view on God's law? What's your view on these commandments and what will you do with them? Well, these are just some questions to keep in mind today uh, as we look particularly at this portion of Psalm 119. But let's remember what it is. As we're going through Psalm 119, it's this expression of truth through the convictions of a godly man who loves God's word and he sees his utter reliance upon God if he is to walk in the way of God. And we remember that God has given us, has entrusted us with exceedingly great and precious promises. So we are driven by faith to the Lord to seek his mercy that we may keep his statutes because they are life to us. So even as, as the moral law, the moral law is established in one means to convict the sinner, to condemn the sinner, to awaken us to sin and push us to Christ as the only way of salvation. And today in our passage, we're going to see that, once again, the psalmist's deep love for God flows from a gratitude for God's redemption in his life. And this redemption has not just brought to him a love for God, but has placed in him in a position where, where, listen, he's not just able to love God, love God and love his law, he must. He is actually gratefully duty-bound by God to love God and to love his law and to bear forth the fruits of a life that's walking in his commandments. So let's begin our text today and understand this love of God and this duty he's called us to. In verse 45, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Now, indeed, we know that the truth is there is freedom and liberty in God's ways. And children, you can see that on your notes there. Uh, There is freedom and liberty in God's ways. This is the truth. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to tell us the exact opposites, and this should not surprise us. They are the enemies of the Christian. And the enemies of the Christian know that the children of God, when they follow and walk in God's ways, 
That results in peace. It results in joy. It results in comfort and safety and love to those who are following God's ways. And so the enemies of the Christian are going to do all in their power to convince you that God's precepts are not liberty, but they're in fact bondage. And wasn't that the very tactic of the serpent in the garden asking Eve, has God really said? It's with subtle twists. It's with gross generalizations or outright lies that principalities and powers work hard to convince you that the law of God is nothing but a controlling, restrictive rule book to constrain your freedom and deny your self-will. And the dear children of God, unless they walk by faith, unless they live by the Spirit, we will all succumb to this lie. Because the reality is really what our psalmist says here. I seek, I believe in, I trust in, I delight in your precepts, therefore I walk at liberty. It's not only in your ways, God, not only in your commandments where where true freedom exists. It is in your way. It is in your love. It's in your redemption that we're able to do this. So we should back up and remember who we are as the redeemed people of God. We were once enslaved, imprisoned, and in bondage in its sin and death. And it was God's law that actually exposed our sin and put on display our, separate, our, our desperate need for rescuing, for deliverance. And this imprisoned state was experienced by God's people in Egypt. You might remember, under the tyrannical bondage of Pharaoh. And then God rescued them. And we just actually heard about that. Our brother just talked about that with the, the waters the baptism of Moses. But, but notice, God didn't just like secretly pull them out of there in the middle of the night. No, this was a triumphant victory over the Egyptians as God's people crossed on the, sea, the floor of the Red Sea on dry ground. It was phenomenal as then that very withheld water then crushed that which was against God's people. This is an amazing work of God's salvation. And it gives us this incredible historical redemptive picture by by where God's people, not on their own power or works, but completely dependent upon God, are delivered. They are saved. Just as in Christ, we are delivered. This is the picture of the covenant compassion of God, meaning Uh, the compassion, the mercy, the grace to all his people. We see this in Ephesians 2. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, God comes to his elect and he delivers them from the oppressive domain of darkness, from the land of bondage and slavery. And he delivers them to the kingdom of blessing, the kingdom of life and light, the kingdom of the Son in whom He loves. As we see in Colossians 1, 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the freedom we have from sin and death in Christ. And this is what the psalmist is rejoicing in. When he says, I will walk at liberty in freedom, kind of, we could think of it on the other side of the Red Sea, I will walk in liberty for I seek your precepts. It's really that full circle of God's law that is ushered in this salvific liberty and life. As Paul said in Romans 7, the law exposes our sinful hearts and drives us to our need for Christ. And this is the law as as a tutor, the, the loving revealer of our sins. And so it is then the law of God that brings us to Christ. And then having received that redemption through Christ, or the new life of liberty, free now from the chains of bondage or self-bound living, with gratefulness and thankfulness to God, we see that we have freedom, that Christ is one. And so our love for God is shown by serving Him, by obeying Him, by loving Him. How? According to His commandments. And so we are actually by gratitude, brought back through love of God to his law to see how we may glorify him. As Christ said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is the very work that we see. So in love for our God, for his merciful salvation, we go back to his commandments to see how we can glorify him, how we can thank him, how we can love him. And it's right there in that place where Christians live. Brothers and sisters, that's how we live in that place. We have been driven to Christ by the law. We receive the redemption of Christ. We are so thankful and we go back to his commandments and say, oh God, thank you for giving us your holy commandments that we may know how to live this life in liberty and freedom. So here we are. We are redeemed, no longer condemned, given life, set free, as it were, to live for God. So how do we live? How will you live today? According to the world's ways? Or according to this that God has given us? The the very best the very truth of all time. It's been said that God's law is a transcript of God's very character. And so his laws, his precepts, his ways are not just a good suggestion of how to have a successful life. God's law does not just make for good business ethics. God's law is life. It's It's God's very, very, very best because it is the very truth of God. And by the power of God, through faith for salvation, we get to live it out every single day. We get to take that truth and by faith in the freedom that Christ has won, we get to live it out. Amen. That is a blessing. And here's the striking thing that we'll see in our passage today. It's not just that we get to live out the beauty of God's commandments. We must. 
We must. It's, it, it, it's, it's our duty, but moreover, it's the only path for us. Our scripture readings today that our brother Pastor Swanson read really highlight this. So I put them on your notes there so you can look at them, but let's review them again. I'm going to read our passage from Philippians 1, 19 through 26 again, and I want you to listen for the life of the Christian. It's, this is actually Paul describing how he must live as a Christian. I'm going to start in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. This is the life of the Christian. To live is Christ. This born-again life that we've been given is not for us to go live how we please, to live on our passions. These lives we live are for Him. Children, you can see that on your notes. It says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. To, To live is only in Christ for the redeemed people of God. Paul says it's far better to go to heaven and be with Christ. It's just better. Let's admit it. It's way better. But according to the perfect will of God, it's needful that we remain here for now. Why? Because he has work for us to do. He has something for us to do. So we have to engage in this calling, right? It's not, he hasn't called us home yet. It's not time. So right now, it's our privilege, our freedom, our duty, our life to live for God. And how we live that life is according to his holy commandments. Romans 12, again, makes this exceedingly clear. But a little contextual thing that I always like to remind us of, notice how Hebrews 12 verse 1 starts. It starts with a therefore, which means we need to go back and figure out what Paul's referring to. So I'm going to start in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, the last verse in chapter 11, which says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we live our lives, we give our lives like a sacrifice for God based on the work of redemption that he's done in our lives, and that is reasonable, or we could say expected. We are present to present our lives in a holy manner. Now, if you were told to go live your life and present your life in a holy manner, how would you do that? How do we know 
what a holy life looks like. Oh, it goes back to God's commandments, God's law. It tells us there, doesn't it? Again, we have a holy God who is shown forth in, of his own character in his holy law and is redeemed a holy people. This is what God has for us. God's way is his holiness. So we look to his word, his truth, his law, so that we can be a holy sacrifice that's acceptable to him. So that's how we live. That's why it goes on there in verse 2 to say, well, don't live according to the pattern of the world. That's not the way of holiness. That's not the way of holiness. Live according to God's way. God's will, it says. God's will is his holy law he has for his people. It's what he's given us. It's what he's fashioned for us, the perfect truth. So we see walking in God's way according to his truth, again, is not just something we get to do, but it is the only way for Christians to live. It's our joyful calling and our blessed duty from our God who's redeemed us and given us life. Which is why the psalmist goes on to say in verse 46, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. What happens as we take on a holy calling to live for God is that the world and its accusations and its criticisms sort of fade away. In other words, if we are to proclaim the truth, and people push back on that. We don't really mind that much. Because we're so confident in our God. We are so confident that we have the truth. That we've been given the truth of all eternity. And people can speak against it. But it doesn't move us. Because we know the truth. We're confident in the testimonies of our God. So we will just speak of them. We will declare them to the world. To kings. There's nothing to be ashamed of when we are confident in our God and his truth. And brothers and sisters, I, I speak for myself and perhaps all of us that I think we need to be a little more confident in our God in the public square. I, I mean out in the street. I mean in your job. I mean at your school. I mean in your neighborhood. Do you see, we have been given the truth of all eternity. We possess the promises, the commandments, the precepts, the statutes, the way, the love, the redemption of God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. When you look up at the stars, when you look up at the moon, it's the very same God that has saved you. You have nothing to fear as you speak his truths out to the world. So may we live in humble confidence in our God. Just humbled that we even have been given this truth and so confident in our God. So let's, the, let, let's let the allurements of the world pass away and take great delight in the truth of our God. I love that hymn that we sang yesterday at Ryan's service. Earth joy, earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. But O oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. That's what we're focused upon. Our God, who is above all, 
and with us all. Isn't that what we want? Our God who never changes? The, the, the lasting God that, that, that is the truth, that has saved us, that is with us, that will never leave us. Oh, so, so much more than the world can offer, isn't it? And so a love for God and his commandments come bursting forth out of the redeemed heart, out of the heart for the righteous, that says, I don't, I don't want to take this pattern of the world anymore. I want to take his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we see the psalmist go on in verses 47 and 48. He brings two responses of sort of descriptions of how he will live. Look at verse 47 and 48. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. He's saying twice, God, I love your commandments. Because in them, God, I see you. I see my God. And that's what I find delight in. You know, there's so many things today competing for our love, for our affection, for our time, for our passions and our delight. Where are God's commandments amongst all that you delight in? Secondly, we see his love, the psalmist's love for God's commandments result in a life that will worship and praise God for his incredible truth. He says, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments. This is very similar to what we see in Romans 12. Our whole lives are worship unto God. Certainly we come here Sunday morning and we worship God, but it's not just for a couple hours on Sunday morning. Our whole lives are worship unto God. Every day, all the time, in all of our work, in all of our play, in the mundane things of life, God is to be worshipped. His commandments are to be reflected in the redeemed lives that we live. And so notice, after delighting in God's commandments and lifting his hands, this repeated, repeated phrase, your commandments which I love, your commandments which I love, which begs the honest question for all of us, do we love God's commandments? Or do you love some of them? Maybe. Some of them you don't like so much. But here they are, laid before you, laid before us. May we take them and go and glorify him. This is, this is this incredible opportunity we have. Think of what we get to do. We've been given this truth. We've been sh- we can go out and live this. To to live lives, to raise families, to have marriages, to create businesses, to dwell in unity, all according to the perfect truth and will of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, may God's law, may God's gospel, may God's salvation for the lost be woven into everything we do. I mean, think about it. Some of us here, what do some of us do? Fly, some people here fly airplanes. You know that? Some, some people sell things. Some of us work on computers. Some of us raise and disciple children. Some of us are children. 
who are being discipled. But whatever you do, go to school, go grocery shopping, exercise, go to work, go on vacation, may it all be soaked in God's truth. And may all we do be directed by God's holy word. So, so that we don't, just, we don't just do these things. We do them according to his ways. We bring, bring glory to him. Unto God for his kingdom. And so it is all you do. Your school, your business, your parenting, the way you interact with your parents, the way you serve your siblings... Even, yes, even how you brush your teeth. Do it according to God's commandments. Why? Because you love them, as the psalmist says. And, and note, there's nothing that escapes his comprehensive dominion. The biggest to the smallest action every day, we are called to glorify God in it. And that's how we live. That's how we live holy lives according to his holy law. So may our lives, every little part of it, just be saturated, dripping with God's truth and grace. The the psalmist says, in your commandments, I delight, I love, I lift my hands. Why? Because he knows that's his position of redemption, his position in Christ. It's not just a suggestion, but it's, it's like our station. It's our post. It's our duty. For the king. You might remember Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are purchased by his blood. It was said earlier today, we are blood-bought children, sons and daughters of the king. Paul says we stand as his bondservants, we, meaning we, we serve God. That's our position in life now. And, and children, you can see that on your notes. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but consider what it says here in Colossians 3. It's pretty profound. It's pretty exclusive. Because it says whatever you do, whatever you do, and we are so blessed, aren't we? We, we live in such uh, incredible pro- prosperity. We have so many opportunities and so many things we can do. So much time and resources and freedom God has given us. I mean, think about it. You, you could get into camping or hunting or raising your own cattle or growing a garden or volunteering for a ministry or learn to play a musical instrument or you could not do any of those things. It's up to you. I mean, this is, this is so much opportunity that we have. But my conviction, brothers and sisters, is that each day, each 24 hours that God has given us, what am I doing with it? Am I doing lasting things? Or am I doing fleeting things? And, and no matter what I do, How am I doing it, and unto who am I doing it for? In other words, why do I do what I do every day, and for who? 
Here's the bottom line. I'll try to say this simply. All that matters in life is what we do for God. All that matters in life is what we do for God. As our text says, for you serve the Lord Christ. Not what we do for ourselves, that doesn't matter. Not what we do for money. Not what we do for the fear of man. Not what we do for the praise of man. Not what we do for our own reputation. All these things are pasting. As Solomon says, they're vanity, which means they are a waste of time. So we've got to ask ourselves today, am I wasting my life by living for me and not living for God? We are to do all things unto God and for his glory. And I'll be honest, that is very hard to do all the time. But you know what? It's by faith in God that we can live for God and that we should want to live for God. Right? 1 Corinthians 10 says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. God even cares about eating food for his glory. It all matters to him. Right? And the verse right before this one, in Colossians, back to Colossians 3, says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. Because, you know what, I'm convicted by some of the most lasting, significant things in our lives as the people of God will be things that no one else sees. Did you know that? Just a couple examples. Let's say in your heart, you trust God enough to forgive someone that has offended you. No one else knew about that. No one else saw it. You didn't tell anybody else, else, but you forgave them. But God knows, doesn't he? And that forgiveness is huge. It's sort of like setting you free. You could have gone down the path of bitterness, but you trusted God and forgave, and that was huge. Let's say you're wrestling with a temptation to sin and you're fighting it and fighting it and through Christ you have the victory in that moment and no one else knew but God knew. And God knows that was significant in your life. Or maybe there was a time when you were afraid or scared or fearful of something and you stopped and trusted in God and had the peace of God come over you. No one else knew about it but God knew And God knows it transformed your life of trusting in him. We do all sorts of things in life, but they can be so passing, so fleeting, so wasteful. May we lean into all things unto the Lord. All that we put our hand to, all that we say, may we do it heartily as unto the Lord. And see, this is really the psalmist's declaration in our text today. We are called to live lives in ways that most humans don't. We we go to work. We educate our children. We clean our homes. We have times of recreation. But for the redeemed of God, it's how we do these actions that makes all the difference. When I work, I work unto God, not unto men. 
When I rest, I rest in the mercies of my Lord. When I do my chores, I do them with gratitude and thankfulness. When I'm sinned against, I forgive my brother with humility because I remember my own sin. And this is exactly, again, what Romans 12 is speaking of. Holy living, our reasonable, expected service to God. That's what we get to do when we wake up every day, is to live unto Christ. So the implications to us, brothers and sisters, are are quite tremendous. They They are truly freeing. Because we're not living these short little lives for us. We are, we are living these lives for the glory of the maker of heaven and earth that will transcend far beyond when we are on this planet. In other words, we get to spend this life in holy living and growing in holiness. We are looking, we are seeing, we are considering every day, how can I live for his glory? How can I build his kingdom? How can I make his king known, kingdom known in whatever I'm going to do today? Because we've been given that which is much, much better than gold and silver. We've been given the truth of all eternity, and we ask ourselves, how do I take this and live it out today? We must put our faith into action. And I've said this before, and I'm saying it again, children, it's on your notes, because I really do believe it. I really believe this is the step the church needs to make in faith that I believe we see throughout church history. And we need to not be ashamed today. We need to change that little saying that we teach our children. We tell them, we, we teach our little ones, maybe two, three years old, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Amen. But it can't end there. It should be Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave and he gave me a job in his kingdom. I need to lean into this. It doesn't just end with a guy 2,000 years ago dying and raising back to life. It has implications for me today. It transforms everything. And he has something for me to live is Christ. I'm here on this planet soul attached to this body for a purpose for his kingdom. And when that purpose is over, he will take me home. So I must be focused and diligent upon what I am to do for my God today. That should propel our life with great joy and anticipation that we are part of that. Hallelujah. God is using us for his kingdom kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven to transform society with his truth wherever he has his people in other words to turn the whole world upside down the gospel and the power of god at work through his saints and you look back at church history you'll see it look at what look at what god has done through his church in history he's turned oppression into freedom, injustice into justice, hatred into love. This is what happens when the church moves in faith and holds on to the mantle of God's unchanging precepts. We who have received God's word and live it out have the role 
of serving as his vessels of honor to build his kingdom. R.J. Rushduni said it this way, The church is God's covenant people. These people are the recipients and channels of God's real presence and glory on earth. They are soldiers in God's war against the powers of darkness and heirs of God's kingdom and the possessors of eternal life. That's us. Amen. This is our calling as light and salt in this world. Not just to survive, not just to sustain ourselves, but to thrive, to grow, to transform, to show the world the glory of God. That's a huge thing. That's that's a huge calling we've been given. And I believe Abraham Kuyper was right. That, That the church, God's people, were not established to simply serve ourselves, but to embody Christ in the world for its restoration, for its flourishing, for its growth in righteousness. So that every day in what we do, our vocational work, or our domestic labors, we glorify God. Kuiper said, the light of the church is meant to shine out through its windows to areas far beyond illuminating illuminating all the sectors and associations that appear across the wide range of human life and activity. So this grace that we've received this life in Christ by which we now live, these commandments which are instructions for holy living that we love, these are exercised in every area of our life every single day. Which is why the psalmist ends this section in verse 48 by saying, I will meditate on your statutes. I will meditate on your statutes. In other words, He's saying, since I love your commandments, God, I will continually go back to your word and I will apply that truth to how I should live. Examining all I do, transforming it so that I will align to the pattern of your commandments. I just want to bring up one example that's been bugging me a little bit. As we look at God's word, sometimes we take things for granted. Sometimes we pass over things. And it's probably about the 20th time we finally read it and say, well, I never saw that before. But, but I just have to say, we need to decide, are we going to live to these commandments or just what's most convenient for us? Just one example, God's word says, six days you shall labor and do you all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. We need to do that, brothers and sisters. Uh, America has actually duped us into thinking about this differently. America says five days you shall labor and two days you take off for the weekend. That's not what God says. We need to look at his commandments and conform our lives around them for his glory. But but it's not just the practical, the logistical, the applied decisions of our day. This calling goes much deeper to our souls. And and it it doesn't come easily. As we discussed at the beginning, the battle for truth is a very real one. The powers of darkness don't want the advancement of God's kingdom, do they? They don't want you to delight in God's truth. Yet having been brought and 
into light and bought by the blood of Christ, we are not our own. We have been commissioned by Christ for his service to follow in his train. As we sing in the hymn, whatever he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Therefore, in conclusion, and by way of application, under the assignment that we are of Christ our captain, we must do three things. Number one, we must love God. We must love God. We sing, more love to thee, O Christ. Amen. We must put away our love for this world and set our minds, set our affections, set our wills on things above. Secondly, we must come under the authority of the word of God. Let nothing else in this life hold the truth for you. We must align all we do according to his precepts. And thirdly, we must live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. For, for while, the, while the law shows us our need for a Savior and then brings us back to it to direct us in holy living, the law cannot save us. For, for walking according to the Spirit is proof of our position and redemption in Christ so it is by His Spirit, His redemptive work, that we must live and move and have our being. Brothers and sisters, when we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, we are set free to live, to live according to God's ways in all that we do. We can be settled every day knowing that all we do, if we do it according to God's ways, is fruitful. It is a blessing. And we might not see the results right away, but it is for his glory in everything we do. As Paul said to Corinth, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Dear family, we have been redeemed. We have been made alive by God. We have been set and posted and stationed and put on call to join his kingdom-building work in everything we do in this life. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious truth, your commandments, which we love. Thank you for saving us, redeeming us, taking us to the other side that we may, by faith, know your truth and live it out. Oh God, help us to do this every day, in all that we do, in every means, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.